We got pages and pages of notes. Um, I do have one laid out for you. Uh, it's online also. It's uh, about John the Apostle. It's from Chaff's History, uh, an eight-volume set of uh, the ch- history of the Christian church. And it goes through and it gets into some uh, fun things about John's later life because, uh, of course, John lived in 98 A.D., and he was involved in a lot of churches. So Papias, Polycarp, Ignatius knew him. And then Irenaeus knew those guys. And so they're writing about John and his life. And again, once you get outside of Scripture, you don't know if it's, you know, it's not scriptural. So sometimes it becomes a legend. And so you've got to be careful with it. But there are some uh, great things in there. And on the very back I've got right there on page 10 is Clement of Alexandria on the Apostle Paul. He gives an account of the Apostle Paul uh, when he gets back off the Isle of Patmos. He comes and revisits the church and settles things, you know, ch- settles some issues. He's an old man now, late in his late 90s. But he'd given uh, a young man, uh, well, here, I can just look at it real quick and see if I can find it here. I wish I would have underlined it. I, I didn't. Uh, but you can see on page 10 and 11, uh, it says... Ha- What's that? Yeah, where's that at? On page 11 in the middle, of the long paragraph. Okay, okay, he, he'd come in and he, he'd set up, on, on page 10, he'd set up an, an, another elder and he was setting things up and he saw a very uh, strong young man and he says, take care of this youth. Oh, on the third line on the bottom paragraph on page 10, this youth I commit to you in all earnestness in the presence of the church Kind of like Paul, you know, calling Timothy to follow him. John, as an old man, is calling this man to follow him and puts an elder in charge of him. The town's not mentioned because, again, it was a time of uh, right at the end of Domitian's reign, Trajan, the church was under some kind of, so there's some details that are missing in it. Uh, but uh, he, he, he comes back. Time passed, now on page 11, time passed, and some necessities having emerged, they sent again for John. Uh, And when he had settled the other matters on account of which he came, said, Come now, O bishop, restore to us the deposit which I and the Savior committed to thee in the face of the church over which you presided as witness, meaning this young man. Uh, They they were confused because like, what money? I didn't give you any money. He said, well, the man. And he goes, well, he'd fallen out and got in with some thieves or robbers or road bandits and stuff, got into a gang. Uh, he says, well, but when he said, he's, uh, I demanded the young man, he said, uh, with tears, he says, he is dead. And uh, what kind of death he's dead? Well, he says, well, he's dead to God. He has turned to wickedness and abandoned and gone over to the robbers. And it goes through here and how the apostle John then gets on a horse, rides off to where the gang's hanging out, challenges them, chases the guy, and, and brings him back to the faith kind of by force. And the guy's glad to be rescued, but that whole account there, that's written by Clement of Alexandria, who's going to be Alexandria, Egypt, uh, who's going to be the, uh, uh, the, the, the teacher of origin, say 250. So this is written around 200, 250 A.D. Uh, and so it's just interesting uh, with that account, and that's, you can read that. Again, it's not biblical. It's written about 150 years after uh, it would have taken place, but it would be something that, that does match the character of John. It matches the timeline. And then if you go back into Schaff's, uh writings there, you can see other 
information there that is similar to that. He refers to that, doesn't give you the account, uh, word for word, but it does give you the account. Uh, he's got John on Patmos. Oh, yeah, on page 9, the traditions respecting John. And that on page 9, traditions respecting John, the memory of John sank deep into the heart of the church and not a few incidences more or less characteristic and probable have been preserved by the early fathers. This is Chaff writing in 1890. Clement of Alexandria towards the close of the 2nd century. Uh, okay, I said 200 AD, so that would be close, but more like 190. And that's, that talks about what I just gave you, the article of his actual writing. Uh, Irenaeus bears testimony to the character of the son of thunder when he relates as it, from the lips of Polycarp, that would be one of John's disciples, on meeting in the public bath of Ephesus, the Gnostic heretic Serenthus, and we will talk about Serenthus next week, uh, and talks about how there, and we, we saw the bathhouse, remember on Sunday morning we had the pictures up here of the, the, the coast and the the, the, the shore and the, the bathhouses, the road coming up to the Agora where they did the shops and the theater was right there. The, the, the Agora was where the, the riot took place against Paul. They came over to the theater, but coming right into town would be the bathhouses. That would be where John would have been in the bathhouse. Again, we're not talking, we're talking that's a, like a public, you know, bath, shower. That's, you know, that, that's completely uh, legitimate on what they're talking about. But anyway, talks about that. And there's other things talking about John, which is just interesting. And I printed that out instead of standing up here reading to you and reciting all of that. I thought I would just give that to you and have you read that for yourself. Okay, the other notes we got is part of that, the booklet you haven't got. I've just, again, this is numbered page one on these notes. And also on the link I've got on the website uh, behind, underneath the live video stream. Uh, but it's in a booklet, so this would be like page 15 or 20 later on in the booklet. But nonetheless, what we have here is just um, basically some events setting this. We're still in looking at uh, the, the, the heresies up until 100 A.D., kind of laying some groundwork for it. And to go through the heresies, I think it, to do it interestingly and effectively, it's nice to see what's going on in church history. So we're going to talk about events. We'll look at some of the emperors, uh, which, of course, gives you kind of the political feel for what's going on from Rome. We'll lead into some persecutions. And then we're going to look at the elders. I, I did that because E, 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 events, emperors, and elders. Uh, these are the people that follow the apostles. Like, you know, it's not just like the apostles died and then the church is just like, they, 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 the apostles, just like you can see, we're going through 1 Timothy, Paul is preparing Timothy, and it is in, in, it, we even talked about it yesterday, he's entrusting him with his ministry, with the church of Ephesus, and that would be a procedure. These apostles are starting churches, and they're not running around like there's some, you know, you know, you know, next to God, bishop, ruling, you know. They're like, okay, I've got to find someone to take care of this church or this town. And they're appointing them, checking on them, overseeing them. When they've got problems, they come back and resolve them. And so there's going to be a list. And I'll, I'll show you that here. And i got to stop telling you what we're going to talk about and start talking about it. We want to look at what some of those, because some of that stuff's recorded in church history. Uh, but anyway, here we go. The events. We don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but there's three main events that determine church history here. And the first one is going to be 48 AD, and we've talked about this. Uh, the Jerusalem Council, it's recorded in the book of Acts. It's, it's nice that it's there because you already see 
conflict. And this comes down to the very orthodox position, the very solid anti-heretical view that we do have the faith. The faith that was once for all in trust. We've been spending several weeks talking about this. There is the faith. F-A-I-T-A. I spelled that right, didn't I? It looks, it looks weird. Okay. Uh, the, the, the faith, they have the embodiment of truth. And in 48 AD, a question arose, and that was circumcision. And how does the law fit with the gospel? And you can say, well, bless God, that's not, it's, we, you know, should know better. It's, they've got to navigate through this. Now, the faith has been established, but how do you apply it to this? You've got the law of Moses. You've got Jewish tradition. Even the Romans, it's going to be part of the, their view from the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the persecution of Christians. They don't say, are you a Jew or are you a Christian? They're going to just call them both atheists. Why would you call a Jew or a Christian an atheist if you're in the Roman Empire? Because the Roman world, the Greek world, worshipped all the gods. You'd have many gods. Well, the Christians, what did they deny? They denied the gods. What did the Jews deny? They denied the gods. So in the eyes of the pagans, the Christians, in fact, they're shouting, the crowd is shouting this at Polycarp's death. They're shouting, away with the atheists. And they want to watch him burn. They're in an arena wanting to watch Polycarp burn because he's an atheist. He's one of John's disciples, and they burn him. He gets burnt. He gets martyred. Uh, but he instead turns and says, uh, you know, tells the, the emperor or the governor is giving him a chance to re- recant, you know, and, and renounce Christ. And instead he says, no, he says, I, I fear God, away with the atheists. Anyway, so the crowd calls them atheists. Kind of, you know, it's, I mean, these guys, some of these guys died pretty heroically. Uh, not a whimpering by any means. But nonetheless, this right here, uh, this is going to separate the Jews right here from the, the gospel because in 48 AD, as you can read in the book of Acts, uh, well, here I re- read these details here. It was the first church consul. The issue was circumcision and the Jewish law. Uh, they says the Jews would continue practicing circumcision. That's fine. It's part of their culture. In fact, they're, they're, they're still a Jewish people with a covenant with God. But there's no reason to bring it over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are never going to be part of the Jewish covenant. Now, again, right now you're going to get into all kinds of debates as far as, you know, denominational beliefs and, and are you dispensational? Are you covenant theology? What about the Jews? Has, has the Jews all that passed away and all their imitators today? Or is God going to restore the Jews and have a millennial kingdom with the Jews reigning as Christ, reigning as king of the world and of the Jews? Again, that's all eschatology, things we can talk about. But right here, they are determining that the Jews are allowed to continue. If you're a Jewish Christian, you, Paul goes to the Temple Mount. Uh, James, Jesus' brother, was pushed from the Temple Mount because he was so often on the Temple Mount. The church in the, in the book of Acts, and again, we say the church in the book of Acts in Jerusalem, it was a Jewish church. It's like, And so they met on the Temple Mount because that's where... They had their religious. So they met in Solomon's uh, around the, the, the edge of the wall here. The, uh, the colonnade had like three large rows of columns going all the way around with a roof. And they would meet there on the Temple Mount. So the church begins there and the Jewish Christians stayed there. Even after 48 AD, they would still function there. But the Gentiles had, had, did not have to embrace Judaism. They didn't have to follow the law of Moses like the sacrifices. 
the moral code, of course, would remain intact. And as I b- go by this, understand this is an important issue when you get into the heretics that are coming, is the Old Testament was Scripture for the Jews, but the Old Testament always was Scripture for the Christians. They, when they talk about... Uh, in, in the New Testament, in the letters of the epistles, when they talk about the writings, the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament, and sometimes they're talking about the Gospels as they came into existence, and even Paul refers to his letters, and Peter refers to Paul's letters as scripture. But at no point does the faith, the, well, that was once for all established with the saints, do they ever reject or renounce the Old Testament. It is from day, see this is the thing, Christianity can't just be this diverse, scattered, we're all so confused, we don't know what to do, there's different groups of Christianity. First of all, you're not just starting from scratch, like, well, let's say, well, okay, there's a God, uh, and, and you start making it up. Christianity has to fall into this category of the Old Testament doctrine. It's like, now again, the law was for the Jews, even in the Old Testament, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, a Gentile city of the capital of the Assyrians, and teach them the law of Moses. They just came back to what we'd say reality. They just got out of their wokeness and came back to reality. Uh, so the Old Testament was never rejected. That was the scripture. So when you see any kind of a teaching or any kind of a deviation in the first hundred years of church history, that rejects or rewrites the old testament heresy because it's got to fit with the old testament and that's why that's why in our bibles like we just tyler and i just bought the uh like you some of you saw i heard someone talking about it we the uh, you just put a comment right there uh the israel bible it's it's just the old testament with the hebrew and the column on the side and since tyler and i just finished our first semester of of hebrew and again if you want to learn Hebrew, you want Tyler talking to you, not me, because he's like just like doing really good at it, and I'm 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 the slow kid, but I'm still passing. Um, but that's just got the Old Testament, no New Testament. In fact, he would say, "Well, where's the New Testament?" Because it's like I said, "Well, it's not here." I said, you know, we, we, then he understood it. Um, but our Bibles, they have in unison Old Testament, or excuse me, Old Testament and New Testament in the same Bible, because there's no contradiction. Now, people say, oh, there's contradiction. It's like, no, it all, the Old Testament feeds into, prophesies about the New Testament or the New Covenant. And so the Old Testament, if you ever come against the Old Testament in the early church in 100 A.D., 200 A.D., some heresy, and you're saying, well, really, that's a different God, like, for example, the Gnostics or a variety of them, that would be heresy that would be wrong and so whenever this thing is starting off 48 a.d is an important issue the church council 48 a.d they're just simply saying the old testament is intact and the jews can continue to follow it the gentiles make sure you respect the jewish culture because you're going to have churches people are going to start following christ people are going to be leaving synagogues and joining the church and when they get there they're going to find gentiles who are coming out of idol worship. The Jews are coming out of temple worship and sacrifices to the church. The pagans are coming out of idol worship and all the things that go with it to the church. And so there's going to be some conflict at your potlucks because your guys are going to be bringing blood pudding. And these guys, uh, you don't eat blood. 
And so it's like, well, there's nothing wrong. It's like, please, out of respect. That's what the letter is. James writes the letter. He says, don't, we don't want strangled animals. We don't want, we, we, you should avoid blood. Uh, and, and just avoid some of these things so that there's not a conflict. Because it's like a co- collision of cultures. It's not a religious thing. It's, you know, uh, the unity of the faith. Anyway, that's what that kind of ends with and makes a distinction. So that's a big event. And it's good for us to see that and understand that. Next, after that, the next event that's going to be pertinent to understand is 64 AD. The Christians really haven't had persecution from the Roman Empire. They've gone from 30 AD, you know, the crucifixion, up to, say, 64 AD. Uh, There's been local persecution. You've got to believe there's been local persecution. Paul got stoned to death, apparently, and then he got back up and walked into the city. But if you remember, he was beaten in Philippi by the Gentiles, by the pagans, uh, because he interrupted someone's business. There's, there's a, a, the python spirit. It was the python spirit was in a woman, a, a lady, a girl, and she could uh, prophesy and see into the, you know, she was demon-possessed. And, and she was speaking, the python spirit was speaking to, about Paul, saying these men, uh, they know the way of God, and they're saying positive things. And Paul turns around to the woman and casts the demon out of her, and she's delivered. Well, all of a sudden, now she's just like a normal girl, normal woman. It's like, and they're like, okay, say something. It's like, I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. It's like, what? The guys that had her owned her, they were using her and making money on this prophetess who was demonically predicting talking about spiritual things well that's why paul got put in prison it wasn't because he was a christian or he believed in jesus it was because he messed up this guy's business i mean he shut down their business by casting a demon out of their you know their star player you know if it would be a a, a star musician or a star athlete or a star hollywood character or whatever it's like and you cast it all of a sudden i can't act anymore i can't sing anymore i can't write music anymore i can't play football anymore i'm just like you know I, they she lost her gift well and that affected the owners and they that's how paul in philippi so there is people getting beat put in prison a lot of it is if you know it's the Jews that are persecuting the Christians. For example, they killed Christ. They pushed James off the Temple Mount. Uh, Jesus' brother, James, John's brother, got decapitated all by the Jews in Jerusalem. And the Jews followed the Christians around. Paul had he'd gotten beaten by the Jews. He'd been arrested uh, a different times. But in 64 A.D., Nero, which we should just real quickly flip over... Yeah, right at the bottom of the page. Events, and then next is emperors. Nero, just to get some information on here. Now, all the, this would take, you know, if we did this right, it would take, you know, a couple weeks to go through Nero and then all the Roman emperors. So understand, I'm just hitting some highlights. And of course, by just hitting the highlights, you're leaving gaps and making mistakes and not telling the full story. But Nero was going to be, is going to be emperor between 54 and uh 68 a.d notice 64 a.d is the fire of rome so that's why we're talking about nero because he's in charge of rome right here so just so you get a picture of nero his mother was agrippina and she poisoned two of her husbands including claudius now okay with that being said 
I'm not sure how you're going to look at your notes and look at this right here, but I will pass this around. Some of you have seen this before, but this is going to be interesting because we're talking about Nero. There's a Nero coin right there. Uh, we could take this off if you want to touch it and feel it. There's Nero here. There's the one. His mom married Claudius, the emperor, and then poisoned him So because by marrying him, and she's got a little boy Nero from another husband, but by marrying Claudius, and then she kills him. Guess who the next imp? She got all the paperwork done and then poisoned. And now Nero, as it says right here, uh, Nero was uh, uh, 16 years old. And she had the Praetorian Guard, who is the emperor's basically private guard, private protection. It's going to be the same Praetorian Guard that is hunting Nero down in 68 AD. Uh, we'll talk about that. But when he dies of poison, she has the Praetorian Guard that he that's in charge of claudius appoint nero and make him the emperor at 16 so you complain about how old your president is well how about a 16 year old high school kid uh who's completely undisciplined and his mom's i just i tried to think of a, a, a an ex- political example of a woman who would kill people for political advancement of family members and it's like, I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's what happens there. So now he's the emperor. So that's Nero. Uh, then Nero's going to send Vespasian in a little bit over to get money because he needs money for what his plans are. And they're going to invade Jerusalem. And part of the Judean wars are going to be Vespasian, the general, being sent over along with his son, Titus who's old enough to be a general in his father's military. But at that time, Vespasian's other son, Domitian, is too young. He's only like 16 or something. I can't tell exactly how old he is. But he can't go, so he stays home. And the whole Jewish wars take place. His father is going to become emperor after Nero dies. His brother's going to become the general that defeats the Jews and comes back. And now Domitian is the the third wheel. He's got a father who's a great emperor. His son, or his brother, is going to inherit the throne. And then when Vespasian dies, Domitian, right here, is going to become uh, the emperor. And that's Domitian who's going to put John on the Isle of Patmos. He's going to be then executed, and Trajan will follow him. So there's those coins right there. Uh, The Flavian family dynasty, I've got these here again. Uh, The Flavian dynasty is going to be Vespasian. Here's a silver coin of Vespasian. I'll pass it around in a moment. He's going to be followed by his oldest son, Titus, the general who destroys Jerusalem. Uh, That's and then Domitian, the guy who puts John on the Isle of Patmos, is Vespasian's second son. We'd say he's the loser son if you want to. Uh, just put it, make it simple. But that's the Flavian dynasty. When Domitian dies, that's when Trajan comes in and the Flavian dynasty is ended. But nonetheless, we're talking about 54 to 68 AD about Nero. And so I just had to say that so you can see point A, Agrippina, his mom, poisons her husband, Claudius. It's all been set up. Nero's going to be the next emperor. And so now at 16, he's the emperor. Uh, In 56 AD, at the age 19, he's 19, he starts late night rioting in the streets. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. He's out driving chariots, you know, crazy hats on. I mean, he's like a, a fraternity kid running the streets of Rome, ruling the empire, partying in the street. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, in 59 AD, he's like now three years later, so he'd be like 22. Uh, he kills his mom. 
His mom's telling him what to do, and he's not going to have anyone tell him what to do, including the mom who killed Claudius to make him the emperor. So she's dead. At the age of 22, that same year, he began giving public performances. I mean, what, you know, young man who's riding in the streets, listening to the great singers and, and all the poets and all the athletes that are famous, wants to be just a stay-at-home emperor. He wants to do some public performing too. And so he starts performing plays. He acts in plays. One time he performed as a woman giving labor in a play. Uh, and I mean, all the, you know, it's like the Super Bowl. All the elite are there with all the tickets. And there's the emperor playing a woman giving birth to a child on the stage. And of course, you got to say the reviews have to be excellent, excellent. Uh, because otherwise you'll get in trouble, just like you would have gotten in trouble if you didn't like his, his, his music that he has been performing publicly. Also, he starts racing chariots uh, in the Olympics and, of course, will win. You, you, he came home one time with several gold medals because who wants to beat the emperor? Because, I mean, he kill his mom, he'll kill you too. Just, so by the time he gets through this, he is a, a, a pop star. He's a chariot race winner he's a nascar champion he's got lead roles of all the hollywood productions and uh and he's terrible but he's supposed to be ruling an empire which he can't do that either but anyway uh that's 22 and 59 a.d 59 a.d he begins giving public performances and all these other things 62 he decides he's in the year 62 two years before the roman rome burns uh he decides he wants to marry someone else so just kills his wife Oh, and then he began writing poetry, racing chariots, playing the lyre. Lyre would be like lead guitar, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, he desired to rebuild Rome. He wanted to rebuild Rome and, and make, call it Neuropolis, you know, make it his own city, rebuild it. It's crowded. And so uh, ends up, that is around 64 A.D., and, and Rome is going to burn. We're going to come back to this if I can remember. So right about here, we're at 64 A.D., and in 64 A.D., middle of Nero's reign, his mom's been dead now for about five years. He's writing poetry. He's number one on the charts in Hollywood. He's number one on the charts on the NASCAR. He's number one on the charts in, in, in music. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, he wants the Senate to rebuild the city. The Senate says, we don't have money for this. I mean, it, it's still, he's an emperor, but he's still got to, the, you know, the public and the Senate have to work together. And so it's like, fine. Now, it's somewhat of a conspiracy. It, it, falls, it lists all of the conspiracies. This is still somewhat of a conspiracy, but historians generally agree. Uh, the night of July 18th, the wooden shops in the southeast end of the Great Circus burst out in flames. They were seen, some people were seen throwing torches in there. The fire raged for seven nights and six days. Uh, then it burst out again and burned for two, some say three more days, uh, parts of the city. London's fire in 1666 lasted four days. Chicago's fire in 1871 lasted 36 hours. This burnt for up to nine days. When it's all said and done, there's 14 divisions of Rome. Ten of those 14 were gone, up in flames. And so, you know, you could say two-sevenths of the city uh, was was destroyed, or was two seventh of the city was left. The public, because of his persistence to want to, you know, whatever his political agenda was, this all of a sudden matches his political agenda perfectly. 
they've got to rebuild Rome. Well, it looks like we've got to rebuild Rome after all. Uh, they blame Nero. This is, this is it. They blame Nero. Nero realizes, I'm in trouble. I need a scapegoat. I need to ex- blame someone for why we've got so many you know, illegal immigrants running in, their, in our city streets. It's got to be, who can we blame? Well, he turns and he blames, uh, he blames the Christians. Uh, point F, historians blame Nero and his ambitions to rebuild Rome. To escape the responsibility, Nero blamed an already suspicious group, the Christians. And one reason the Christians are suspicious in 64 AD, and when they say Christians, that would include Jews in some sense, because they're atheists. I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not participating. They're not out in the streets rioting in the chariots with Nero. They're not over at the circuses doing these extreme gladiator games. They're over here like... You're not, it's something like you're, they're being judgmental or something. They think they're better than everybody or whatever their reason is. Plus, they, there was, they didn't under, I can show you some other things. They didn't fully understand the communion, you know, the body and the blood of Christ. And by the time it got circulating what's taking place in the private settings, well, by the time it's circulating out in the public, they're, they're like eating flesh and drinking blood. It's like, or at least they're pretending to be, they're, they're sick type of people. And those kind of misunderstandings, I've got a list in the, t- uh, the framework book of the 10 misunderstandings. And so he thought, well, here's a group nobody likes. They burnt the city. Well, everybody's looking to blame somebody. They want, they want to execute somebody. So they jumped on board with Nero. Uh, Point X, uh, H, Tacitus, the Roman historian and a politician, wrote, a vast multitude were put to death in the most shameful manner. This is a Roman historian, not a Christian. You can read his books. Writing about what takes place after the burning of Rome in 64 AD is the most shameful deaths for the Christians. Christians were crucified. Christians were sewed up in skins of wild beasts and exposed to dogs in the arena, and the dogs would chase these animal-covered Christians around and tear them up. Christians were covered with pitch or oil, dipped in tar or oil, and then nailed to posts and lit on fire for streetlights, while Nero would continue his late-night parties. So that was taking place. Within a year... Peter was arrested and crucified upside down along with his wife. The same wife he had when at his mother-in-law's house, or his mother-in-law was at his house. That means his wife was there, obviously. Most likely they had children. They're, they're a Jewish couple. They would have had children. But nonetheless, she, and Paul says, writing to the Corinthians, he says, don't I have the right to take with me a believing wife? And he says, take with me. He says, not only can I expect you to pay for my travels, uh, if I had a wife like James, Peter, or some of the other apostles, I would expect you to pay for her travels with me too. Now he says, but I'm not going to ask for that. But he says, he says, this is the kind of demand I could have on you, but I'm tempering it back because I'd rather see growth. And he's trying to tell them, now you need to do something similar, kind of like back off a little bit and work for you know, cooperation. But nonetheless, Peter's wife apparently traveled with him, and so they, they were crucified together in 64 A.D. Uh, in the spring of 68, Paul, uh, then Paul gets arrested in 67 A.D. That's, we're in 1 Timothy. So you see, 62 A.D., this is about two years before. When Paul's writing Timothy, Nero's already killed his mom. He's already, you know, doing his plays and stuff. But then 
Paul travels and comes back after being in Spain and the Roman fire has taken place. He comes back into a firestorm of Roman persecution and himself is arrested finally in 67 AD, apparently in Troas. We'll get that in 2 Timothy. And then brought to Rome. And he's either executed uh, in the fall of 67 or in the spring of 68. Remember he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, I want you to bring my, my parchments and you know the papyri and the animal skin, which would be the letters and the Old Testament scriptures and other books or parchments that he might have, and he wants a coat before winter comes. Uh, he's asking Timothy to do that in Second Timothy. But in this, I put the spring. It could have been the sixty-set fall of sixty-seven. We're not sure. Paul was led out on the Ostian Way and was beheaded. He wasn't crucified. He was beheaded uh, because he's a Roman citizen. And then by June of that same year, 68 AD, Nero is out of control. The, 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 the economy's in, in shot. Uh, he's already, now stay with me, he's after the burning of Rome, they need money to rebuild the city that the Senate said we don't have money to rebuild. So one of the things he does is send one of his generals, Vespasian, because there's been pr- trouble down in Judea. He sends Vespasian one of his generals, in 66 A.D. to Judea and be engages in, and the Jews are more than willing to fight because they want to throw off Roman oppression and be an independent nation themselves. Nero needs money. The Jews want independence. And so you've got a war in 67 A.D. that's going to continue until 70 A.D. And so Vespasian, is, while, this, while Nero is killed the pract- in Rome, uh, the Praetorian Guard is looking for him, and he ends up hiding, running and hiding, and he ends up in some, like the back of a cafe or something like this, and realizes the Praetorian Guard is going to get him, they're going to execute, make a public mockery of him, so he stabs himself in the neck, and he dies. Uh, and that, that is, again, now you've got Roman persecution of Christians, and they are suspect, and it takes out two of the great leaders, Paul and Peter, and that's 64 AD. Now, with the death of Nero, that persecution is going to die down. And the big event now is going to be 70 AD, because in 68 AD, with the death of Nero, they need a new emperor. And in a matter of about 14 months, they go through one, two, three emperors, uh, one of them's name's Gelb. I think I've got them written on that board somewhere. Maybe I got their names written on there somewhere on the back of those coins. Uh, but that one gets killed by someone else, and another gets killed. And finally, they don't know. It's just the empire is in in tatters. It's in it's in chaos. Vespasian is in Judea in the middle of the war in 68 A.D. and the, his troops that he's still in charge of that are in Egypt in Alexandria, Egypt. They say, we're, we're tired of this. We don't know who our leader is. Vespasian, we declare you. And when the, when the military declares you the emperor, now it's a matter of everybody cooperating or the military marching on what's ever in Rome. And so he makes a move to go to Rome, and they welcome him. Finally, someone that's got his head on his shoulders, they welcome him, and Vespasian becomes the emperor in Rome. And right here, I've got two coins. These are, these are Vespasian coins that you can look at right here if you want. Those are 
I just, I don't know who to show them. I have them, and I got to show them off to somebody. Tyler gets tired of looking at them, so I'll show them off to you. Really, that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm showing them off to you. <laughs> it's like, I have you come over for Bible study so I can show you my coin collection. All right, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, if you want to have your own. I, I do, I forgot to do that. In fact, I am going to want to turn it on here in a moment because I got some apps. If I, if I get out of this, I got, of course, I'm on a four-hour program right here. Okay, uh, so now he's the emperor. He settles things down. Titus then becomes the general in, in, uh, in Judea, ends up burning the temple, destroying Jerusalem. The temple is burnt down, and the Jews lose the war. So the, the Jewish wars, uh, they end the temple. The, now the temple's gone. Uh, Judaism is dead in the sense of in Jerusalem. It's been dispersed. The church, as Jesus prophesied, has followed Simeon, we'll look at him in a moment, across the uh, Jordan River, up into Perea, like in Decapolis, across on the east side of uh, Sea of Galilee. So the church is gone out of Jerusalem for this event. Jerusalem burns, and right here now ends a couple things. This ends the Jewish persecution of the Christians because they're, they're, they're too scattered they have they have no temple they have no base plus the jews are after them it also has a clean break between the jews and the christians because now the jews are clearly identified as a scattered people the christian now this be, helps christianity become gentile and moving into the gentile community now again there can still be and there still are jews within christianity but it, it definitely ends, and that's a major break, 70 AD, and the two points are right there. A, the fall of Jerusalem ended the strong Jewish opposition to the church and the Jewish presence in Jerusalem. Uh, now, the church is going to come back into Jerusalem uh, in, a, in a few years and then Christianize Jerusalem. Uh, and the mantle of Judaism's legalism now is no longer a threat to Christianity from the Jews, but the the heretics will pick it up. The people that do not understand will pick it up and start bringing legalism back in. Okay, so there is uh, the events of that first century, 48 A.D., 64 A.D., 70 A.D. Uh, now the emperors, we went through uh, Nero quite a ways, and I got to point J, the first Jewish revolt, I told you. Uh, in June or 69 A.D., General Vespasian is the uh, leader or the, it becomes the emperor, Nero's dead. Uh, quickly, three emperors succeed him. And then Vespasian, I passed his coin around, he becomes emperor between 69 and 79 AD. Uh, the Roman legions declare him. Uh, and then Titus, upon his father's death, is 79 AD. Titus, which I've got right here, the second of the Flavian dynasty. This is his son. This is a Titus coin. And you can see right here on the back, you can, it's interesting because you can see the armor the armor of a, a, is standing there on a pole, a spear, and there's some like swords and spears and helmets laying around, and it, it is a Judean coin, uh, kind of in recognizing the destruction of Judea. It's like it's memorializing that. Now, Ves, uh, that's Vespasian, and then Titus. He becomes emperor after his father. He only reigns for a couple years and dies unexpectedly in September 13th, 81 A.D. Uh, of a, a fever, a, what did it say, brain fever, is that what it says? Yeah. 
uh, dies of a brain fever. So he's gone, and that leaves his brother, Domitian. And Domitian, you can see the same thing here. You're going to have on the back of this, you've got a picture of Domitian. i got two coins of Domitian. And I, we are fortunate to have Domitian coins because once he's done, they start trying to erase his name from history. And they start melting down his coins, chiseling his name off stuff because he was such a loser. It's the end of the Flavian dynasty. And during this time, 70 AD, 80 AD, uh, you, you've had peace. Or the Christians have had, once Nero's gone, the, the, the persecution, there still may be local persecution because you're not participating with the worshiping the gods. You're not playing along with the, the games that they've got going. But as far as emperor persecution, it, it, it's non-existent. Uh, Domitian's going to revive that again, and I'll explain that here in a minute. So you can take a look at these. these I kind of like the backs of those. You can see there's a goddess doing the same thing with a spear, setting a helmet on the, on the spear, kind of making a little image, a victory pole out of defeated weapons or uh, captured weapons of the Jews. They're still celebrating the defeat of the Jews. The defeat of the Jews was a big deal. Don't just That was not just a little small detail in history the Colosseum that you see uh, one of my boys was there and they brought me a Colosseum do I got a I got my little call there it's way back there little model of the Colosseum that was built with Jewish gold the gold that was brought back from the temple built the Colosseum that's that's a proven fact today there's inscriptions there's there's information uh, so all that that w- Nero's plan to plunder Judea and help rebuild Rome it worked. They brought it back. In fact, as you've got the Arch of Titus, I've got, showed you pictures of that. In, you can see it today in Rome. Shows the Romans in that triumphal procession in, in 71 AD as they're all arriving into Jerusalem. Uh, they've got the table of showbread. They've got the candle stand from the temple. They've got the trumpets all carved in there. And it's, it's like a photograph of the Jewish temple treasures being brought into Rome. It's like, well, I don't know if that really happened. There's a photograph. I mean, there's a, there's a chiseled photograph in a, uh, uh, and then we can read all about the triumphal procession. And once again, Josephus does a really nice job of detailing all that. Anyway, Domitian, very quickly, Domitian, 81 to 96 AD, he eventually is going to persecute Christians. His father was Vespasian. Here, I told you this a little bit. Uh, he leaves for his father, Vespasian, leaves for Judean wars in 66 AD. Uh, Titus was 25, so he marches off with his dad as a general. But little Domitian was only 15. He barely could ride a bicycle. didn't even have a driver's license. So he doesn't get to go. Titus went with his father to Judea while Domitian was left home untrained and unglorified. His brother comes back, the conquering general, under Vespasian, his father. Domitian is there in the audience clapping. Uh, did never set well with him. He ruled as an autocrat who welded power impulsively, wanting to make a name for himself because... Time is running out uh, to try to restore the glory of Rome. Falls in the same trap Nero did. I'm going to build buildings. I'm going to make things glorious, name things after myself. Senate says, we don't have money. I'm going to let them in anyhow. We're going to give all of them a credit card, put them in hotels, uh, and just send more money to Ukraine. Uh, and he continues this kind of a thinking. And it's like, you're, you, you're going to destroy yourself trying to use the empire to make a name for yourself. Uh, to generate more wealth, Domitian had to increase taxes and started with the Jews because they just defeated the Jews. Now the Jews give us money. And when they started with the Jews, guess who's associated with the Jews? 
uh, the Christians because they follow a Jewish God. And so the Christians were now taxed and put under oppression by Domitian as he's trying to pay for all of his building programs. You can see patterns in here. Uh, you know, as, as things go, as, as leadership gets crazy and makes bad decisions, they need to find scapegoats, and they end up blaming, in this case, the Christians for the burning of Rome. Now they need money. Let's plunder the temple. Now we need more taxation. Let's, like, let's tax uh, those that can't fight back, the Jews and the Christians in this case, and they're drawing money to help pay for their building programs. Uh, he exiled his opponents, banished them to islands. Christians were exiled. Guess who was exiled to an island? John, by Domitian. Uh, he intensified emperor worship. Usually, in their traditions, when an emperor died, they would deify them. Now, don't, don't think Christian like we think of the transcendent God who's outside of time. They would, in a sense, deify him, not think, well, this, you know, like when they deified Caesar Augustus or Octavian, or Julius Caesar, uh, him or Octavian. Uh, they would deify him, and, and then you would burn incense to them. You'd worship them, kind of like they're like in, in the spiritual realm. They're in the underworld, wherever the Elysium, and you'd honor them with incense and gifts and stuff. You'd kind of deify them. They did not think these guys all of a sudden were, you know, immortal creator gods. Well, they would usually wait till someone died. So Vespasian has been deified, and that's on the coins. Uh, Titus now is being deified, but Domitian goes, why wait? I'll deify myself before I die. So he deifies himself, which now means you've got to worship the man standing here. Again, a lot of this plays into, because this is right here. Uh, this is going to go until 90, 90, yeah, 96 A.D., this is right around the time where John is writing the book of Revelation. So again, I, I, I'm a futurist. I think Revelation is going to take place in the future. I think it's eschatological, but you've got to just keep everything in perspective. And when you read Revelation, it's being written during Domitian's reign after Nero. And now Domitian has made himself God. Now you worship Domitian. Uh, and that is, the, that is when John is writing Revelation and Jesus is dictating the letters to the seven churches. It is in this environment right here. So as I'm a futurist looking that this is going to take place in the future, you also have to consider, wait a minute, these things were happening right there with boots on the ground as this. It's not like just writing like, oh, fiction and distant. Someday I see this. It's like, wait, wait. It's happening right here. Now, some would be, preterists in the sense they don't even think john was writing in 96 a.d they think it was written in 66 a.d during nero's reign uh the preterists and that all these things have already happened and they're not futures these things have already happened i definitely well again not that that's wrong i disagree with it i think it's future but i also have the realization that these things were being written while Nero was emperor while Vespasian and Titus were emperors and Jerusalem was burning and now Domitian is the emperor and he's doing some of the things that Revelation is talking about like claiming he's God well anyway that causes that adds the more problems point g Domitian intensified emperor worship beyond what it had ever been in the past a dead emperor would be deified but Domitian decided he didn't want to wait and began to refer to himself as watch this lord and god which is direct terminology from Christian. And now you can see John writing, Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Well, he's writing, well, well this loser over here is claiming that title, and, and people are having to make a decision. Uh, I better go this way. I don't want to be killed. 
uh, he wanted to marry this person named Domitia, the daughter of a respected consul, a uh, descendant of the emperor. Uh, but and she was married. Once, again, once he was married to her, he exiled his current wife at least one time. Now, one of the things is, in the mid-90s, this person, Domitian's behavior and attitude had begun to destroy Rome, and the citizens both feared and hated the man who had placed his statue everywhere. His statue, when they talk about removing his face, they're talking about going in and pulling down every street corner. I'm not sure how many there were, but he was like mass-producing statues of himself, so everybody at any time, you go to Walmart, you can worship Domitian. You, he's, he's everywhere. You baseball stadium, there's a Domitian statue. Don't forget, we're going to have a, at halftime, we're going to have a show for Domitian, and everyone can pray and offer incense to Domitian. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy's going crazy. And they, they realized that. And so they'd had enough of his behavior, and, uh, but they feared him. In 96 AD, a conspiracy was organized and carried out, and they think his wife, Domitia, who had, he'd married, he'd exiled, brought back, and he'd had some trouble with. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Don't forget Domitia. Don't forget her. Uh, may have been involved in organizing his assassination. Uh, at the age of 45, Domitian was stabbed in his home office signing documents. His wife is going to live until 126 or 130 A.D. Upon his death, the Senate began, to process, began a process to erase his name from the records. Uh, his coins were collected and melted down. Fortunately, we've got a couple of them here tonight. And his statues were smashed. Monuments bearing his name are hard to find today. Christians had been exiled for not offering emperor worship during this time. Now you understand why John ends up on the Isle of Patmos. It's like, well, I'm not going to burn an offering to Domitian or whatever John was doing. He was a leader, uh, and he was put on the Isle of Patmos. When, when Domitian dies... Uh, Trajan takes over and all of Domitian's political enemies are released and that's when John comes back so it, it makes perfect sense John is going to live to be 90 into 98 AD uh, but it matches the Bible it matches church history uh, it matches some of those stories you can read about John that are extra biblical uh, uh, he, he exiled John and drowned Clement, that would be the bishop of Rome at that time. He would be, he's mentioned in the Bible by Paul. Uh, there's an excerpt right here. I've got it word for word out of the American Journal of Theology. Uh, but that, again, I'm not going to read that to you, and I got this information here for you to read also, but that bottom paragraph right here, it is possible that his wife was a Christian. That she, they, because even Paul talks... Again, this would be 30 years earlier. While he's there, he says, many in Caesar's household have heard the gospel. Because Paul's in Rome, he's in the, in the chambers, he's got uh, uh, under house arrest, he's got guards, people are coming and going. And so Christianity was growing, but you definitely would not want to be in the emperor's family and then profess Christ, especially while you're standing in front of a Domitian altar, in front of a Domitian statue. Uh, and so it's possible... Part of the reason she was being exiled and was having trouble and the reason she supported his overthrow. Uh, again, some of that speculation, but now you're getting into conspiracy theory because she's not going to come out and wear the cross necklace and says, you know, Jesus saves t-shirt and stuff like this and speak at all the churches and start her own women's Bible study uh, because it would be death for everyone there. But there is some evidence that there was Christianity in his household. Okay, that's Domitian. Uh, 
following him is Nerva, who ruled from 96 to 98 AD, uh, and then Trajan, 98 AD to 117. That's going to get outside of our preview of what we're talking about. But Trajan, and I've got a great article, I've got, and, and you can find it too, Pliny, one of the rulers in Asia, up in Bithynia, He's got trouble with Christians, so he, we actually have a copy of the letter he writes to Trajan in 117, saying, what do I do with these Christians? Here's my procedure. And then we've got the letter that, uh, that Trajan sends back to him on how to deal with Christians. And basically the issue is uh, they do not like people revolting against the government, and they feel like these Christians are having secret meetings. They're worshiping another god or another lord, and they've had trouble with insurrections in different groups. Maybe these guys are a, you know, some kind of a supremacy group coming against the Roman Empire. And they're trying to deal with it because they didn't want to just start executing their citizens, but trying to keep a lid on it. So they're really trying to fluctuate on how to deal with these things. Okay, that is, uh, uh, I'll have a letter for you next week. Now, some of the leaders, oh boy, are you guys Okay. I'm going to try to turn this on in front of everybody. Oh, boy. Turn this on. Turn that on. Get my phone out. Okay. And here it goes. Airplay. Oh. There it is. Uh this would be a good place to start, and you've got that on your, you got that on the bottom of page five of your notes. This is now talking about, we talked about the, uh, the events, we talked about the emperors, now we're going to start talking about the elders, and these are the leaders of the church. And we could, when we talk about the church, I can try this, I shouldn't push my luck here, but I'm going to try this right here, we go like this, there we go. You've got churches... You know, in all these areas, if it be Antioch, you've got Jerusalem. You're going to have the Asian church. We'll look at that in just a minute. Antioch. Here's Bithynia and Pontus. This is where Pliny's ruling. We'll talk about that next week. This is where he's got trouble, doesn't know what to do with the Christians, if he should kill them or what. And he writes a letter to Trajan, and Trajan writes back to him. Uh, there's also going to be churches. Let me see if I can do this here. Yeah, there we go. And this is Ignatius. He's one of the guys. Uh, the Magnesia Church, the Ephesian Church, the Trellis Church, Smyrna Church, Sardis, Troas. These are all churches, but they've got to have leadership. The, the, the leadership, and it is documented for some time who those leaders are. Okay, boom, boom. Here's Jerusalem first. And what we have right here, are you ready for this? I know we, after going through the book of Mark, some of this is familiar to you. The line of David recorded in Matthew and Luke. You've got one named Mathen and one named Jacob. Jacob is going to have a son named Joseph, the Christmas story, who's got a son also named Cleopas or Clopas, which you know in the Bible. Uh, and uh, that's Joseph's brother, and that's, that's biblical. Joseph is going to marry Mary. It gets confusing because... His brother, Clopas, is going to marry Mary. See, now that's strange. No, you have enough sons. They're going to marry someone with the same name. I've got six sons. I've got five daughter-in-laws. Two of the five, right? Two of the five are Paige. 
So it's like I've got Justin married Paige and Jacob married Paige. Well, that's confusing. Yes, it is. That's why we've got different codes and names. I'm sure they did the same thing, but on the driver's license, they're both named Paige. If they end up in Scripture, they'll both be Paige, okay? But nonetheless, don't let that throw you off. Clophus and Mary are going to have a son named Simeon, which makes Simeon the cousin of Joseph and Mary's kids. Now, I'm under the mind that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, uh, that he was born supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, overshadowing her. But they had a normal marriage relationship as a Jewish couple. And so once Jesus was born, she got pregnant, again, this time by the man Joseph. And there's going to be people like James, Joses, Simeon. Wait, I thought Simeon was over here. Right, I hope my boys don't name their kids the same name as each other. But in this case, Clophus didn't seem to have a trouble naming his son Simeon. And Joseph says, well, I'm going to name my son Simeon. And there's Simeon, and these are the names following out of the, the Maccabean revolt, the Hasmonean family line. So these are famous names, just like you're going to want to name uh, your girl Travis or Taylor or something like this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay I, I just tried that there's another sister sister and then there's another one the sisters aren't mentioned but they are that could be five sisters or two sisters but it's his and his sisters it's plural so there's at least two of them and then jude we just finished going through his book so jesus we know james we know and jude we know and their cousins with simeon james after the death of jesus he was not, these guys are not believers in Jesus, the Messiah, while Jesus is, you know, working with his dad and mowing the yard and taking out the trash and saying, I'm going to go, you know, start a ministry. Uh, they're not believing. Instead of the Bible, they weren't. But upon his resurrection, Paul says that he appeared also to James, as he appeared to Peter. And James, we don't know the story, but by the time he turned the, from the book of Luke to the book of Acts, James is there. In fact, Mary... And Jesus' brothers are in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it just does something to you when your brother comes out of the grave and talks to you and says, now, do you understand? I'm telling you the truth. It's like, okay, I, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, and so they become believers. And so does cousin Simeon. And we could fill this all in because Ma Mary, as we talked before, is related to Elizabeth who is the mother of John the Baptist. So when these guys are all out getting baptized by John the Baptist, it's Mary's aunt's cousin or sister. You know, it's like they're, they're whole, it's all related here. Now, nonetheless, this goes, the first bishop leader of the church of Jerusalem is James. When he is pushed off the Temple Mount in 63 AD, and like I said before, it's, it's not this corner, but it's the opposite. It'd be the, north, the southwest corner. He, from where the trumpeting stone most likely, he's pushed off and then beaten to death. Simeon, his cousin, becomes the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He's the leader because James gets pushed, is martyred in 63 AD. The Roman war started in 66 AD, and Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded, run, flee to the mountains. And he's talking, I think, about the future days, but he's also talking about the Roman military. And Simeon, listening to his cousin, or Lord, Jesus, uh, they take everybody, uh, the Christians flee Jerusalem before Rome gets there. Uh, and then after that, if you read Joseph's account, you can't escape. You're just in there for the siege, starving, waiting to die by starvation, disease, 
or slaughtered on a cross, decapitated, or taken and sold into slavery into Rome. That, that, that's your option. So the church left, missed all the decapitation, crucifixion, all that. Okay, uh, after sin, let's go down here. Here's, here's my verse. What am I saying? Josephus, this is my source of information. All right, uh, I'm looking here, and we can read about James very quickly. I don't know if we want to. I think we know a lot about James. But there's a bunch of information about James. Point 10, X. In 63 AD, the high priest Annas, the son of Annas of Luke 3, 2, saw the opportunity to get rid of James after the Roman governor Festus had left. So, you know, Festus and Felix were the governors. After their leave, there's a gap where they're bringing in a new governor. And so the high priest uses that gap in leadership and pushes James. It has his... He's supposed to uh, say that there's uh, no, no, that Jesus is not the Lord, and he gets killed. Um, Josephus records this Jewish Christ, Christian historian, Hagapus, in 170, writes about his death. Uh, there's several apocryphal traditions. Okay, Simeon then is going to rule, not rule, but he's going to be the leader of the church from 62 to 107, 107 A.D. So we're well. So he goes from the day he becomes the the leader of the church in Jerusalem, uh, I wrote 62 A.D., that'd be 63 A.D., uh, from the time that Paul is writing Timothy in 63 A.D., 62 A.D., he'll be the leader of the church of Jerusalem until 107. I mean, he's going to lead the rest of the apostolic age. Uh, then, after him, Justice is going to be uh, the leader. Uh, Zach, Zacchaeus, from 113 to another date, I'm turning the page. And, uh, oh, I got to pick this up next week. I want you to read this right here, this little part right here. See, Jude is going to have a couple sons, and he's going to have a couple grandsons. At this time, Domitian is the emperor. He's got John on the Isle of Patmos. These guys are arrested because they, they've got rid of the Jewish revolt. They've been uh, set aside. But sometime in early 81, 82, sometime, Domitian wants to make sure we don't have an insurrection of the Jewish king, the Jewish royalty, try to re rebuild Jerusalem. So he finds all the descendants of this royal line of David, the Davidic line, and he finds two people here who are descendants of David and their royalty in the line of David. Uh, they're, they're taken to Rome and questioned by Domitian with the intention of executing him. And does it say, yeah, right here, is it point, yeah, point three from the bottom on page five. It, I guess that would be whatever, four. Uh, having left Jerusalem, Simeon would have missed Vespasian. No, that's not the right one. After the fall of Jerusalem, Vespasian gave orders to the lineage of royal David and Dom, of David should be found and eliminated. Domitian made a similar inquiry in 81 to 96 A.D., I'm trying to find, I don't, I don't have the details here. I'll have to tell you what it is. Uh, I wanted you to read it yourself. But uh, when they get over to Rome, he asks them questions. Are you, you know, royalty? Are you the king? They, they confess their, their lineage, but they have no intention. He wants to know how much money they've got, how much your estate. And they say, well, all we've got is this property. And when we think, property, oh, wow, how much property? Well, they're talking about, you know, their, their farmstead, their field that they have a house on, that they raise crops on, that their animals graze on. And uh, they say, it's just enough. We just make enough off our farm to, to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves. And they say, well, see, look at our hands. 
and their hands were all calloused from working, and uh, they were like what he considered ignorant, unnoble. You know, they, they weren't like royalty. They were just like common people that were just barely making a living. So instead of executing them, he sends them home. So this would be Jude's grandsons stand in front of Domitian because they're sons of David, and they're like, what? and they go, and he's like, what a waste of time, and, and sent them back, and they're going to have a son named Judas right here, who is the last Jewish leader of the Jerusalem church. He dies in 148. So you still had Jewish Christian leadership in Jerusalem church until 148. And then when he dies, which would be one of Jude's great, great, great grandsons. I got a question mark here. Son, grandson who met Domitian and somewhere later, Judas. Uh, then after that, there's going to be a Gentile leadership in the church of Jerusalem. So now we talked about a little bit about the elders, got started on the elders. If you want to read ahead, uh, there's, uh, there's some stories I want to tell you. Uh, and again, I'm laying the foundation for heresies. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. It's like, you could talk heresies, but it's like, it's just like, like I talk about the skyhook, just kind of hanging out there in, in no man's land. Uh, but we do have some more information on Church of Antioch, who is the leaders, including Ignatius. And we've got letters from Ignatius. We have his letters that he wrote. So we've got one of those guys from 107, 117 letters. Uh, Ephesus, we know on page 9, Timothy was the leader. Is, he is killed in a, in a riot by a mob in 97 AD. Uh, Heropolis, Papias, studied with John. Uh, Smyrna, probably the, and Polycarp, but probably the one who received the letter in Revelation for, to the church of Smyrna right, and the bishop or the leader, the, the angel, the messenger, would probably be Polycarp. Athens, interestingly, had that little moment there on Mars Hill, the Areopagus with Paul. Well, a church, one of the guys on that mound becomes a Christian and starts a church, and these are the couple of the leaders right there. Rome, it's interesting, Rome has got Peter as going to be one of the leaders. He dies in Rome. But Linus, followed by Anticletus and Clement, and Linus number B, or letter B, is mentioned in 2 Timothy and Clement, number D, or letter D, is mentioned in Philippians. And so, and then I think Clement is the one that is drowned by Domitian when John is put on the Isle of Patmos. Clement is drowned there in Rome. And then you got a couple. And then, then, of course, now, those are what I would consider the legitimate leadership of the Church of Rome, where they're, we might call them Christian or whatever. Eventually, that list is going to morph into the Pope's. And at some point, you're going to you know, say, well, okay, now it's getting... And, and I'll be able to show you. I'll be able to show you when we start talking about the Easter conflict because uh, John is going to uh, institute and practice Easter celebration that matches the Passover in Asia Minor. But for some reason, the church in uh, Rome changes the date so it's every Sunday, the same Sunday every year, and everyone is supposed to do it. It becomes an issue that's resolved in Polycarp's day, like, it's, it's fine, we're, we're going to do our own thing. It's not an absolute doctrine. It's one of those non-essentials. But by the time Irenaeus gets here and on down, it becomes so, so much of an issue. The Roman church is going to excommunicate the other churches because they're not celebrating Easter on the day, the Sunday that they want. And again, an example of Rome, Roman church kind of stepping out of bounds. And we'll see that take place. And now you're starting to get into some 
you know, you're getting outside of Christianity, you're starting to get structure and heresies are starting to develop. Nonetheless, uh, all that's coming. You don't have to agree with everything I say, of course. I'll try and teach the church history and, uh, and the heresies that come along with it, and we'll make our way through it. I'll pray. If you have any questions or insights, please feel free to share. I do thank you for being here. Father, thank you for letting us be here this evening. Thank you for letting us study these things. We ask that we would take them to heart, that we would become uh, lights that can shine at this time in history with your word, with our lifestyle that your, your spirit is producing in our own lives as we are uh, sanctified and conformed into your image. We do thank you for this opportunity. ask that we may stand boldly against opposition against false teaching, and let your word uh, penetrate our culture with truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.